Jerry Prokopovich with Civil War Talk Radio. The year is 2009. It's our first show of the new year, and it's also the 200th anniversary of the birthday of Abraham Lincoln. Today, we'll look back at 2008, look ahead to 2009, and consider some of the best and worst of the year that's passed and the year that's ahead in Civil War studies. Join us for this review and look into the future on Civil War Talk Radio. Answer the President's call to service. As an AmeriCorps member, I know that Americans everywhere are helping each other, showing strength of character. As a senior Corps volunteer, I know that Americans are showing kindness and compassion. As an AmeriCorps member, I see plenty of American spirit and enthusiasm. Together, we make America strong. Together, we make America great. Find out how you can serve at nationalservice.org. It's your world. It's your chance to make it better. Apply online at nationalservice.org. The world is talking. World Talk Radio, Studio A. Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, coming to you today from the Brewster Building on the campus of East Carolina University in Greenville, North Carolina. But as always, speaking for myself, not for the history department, the university, or any part of the University of North Carolina system. Normally, I would say the same about my guest, but I'm going to be my own guest today, so I don't have to cover for him uh, or her for a change. But instead, we'll just have a review of events of the past year in Civil War and Lincoln-related news. We'll look ahead, talk about some different things. In the meantime, this is the first show of the new year, 2009. Uh, We will go back to live shows for a while at least. Next week, look forward to having, uh, as our guest, Lance Hurdigan, who's written an interesting new book on the Iron Brigade at Gettysburg. In the weeks following that, uh, we'll have people like, uh, let's see, uh, Edna Green Medford from Howard University, uh, expert on the Lincoln and the Emancipation Proclamation. We will have Vernon Burton, who's written uh, The Age of Lincoln, a very uh, path-breaking new look at the Lincoln era in general. And we'll have uh, additional guests of great interest, I think, as we go into February 2009, the, the anniversary month for the Lincoln Bicentennial. In the meantime, here on campus at East Carolina, it's the beginning of a new semester. These students are just uh, coming back to class today. The faculty are uh, equally straggling back into their offices, getting ready to do things. The campus is recovering from the East Carolina Pirates' uh, close but disappointing defeat in the Liberty Bowl held uh, a week ago. The uh, Liberty Bowl, to outside appearances for our international listeners, is a meaningless postseason exhibition game, but in the tradition-bound world of 
American college football, the bowl games are or used to be everything before the BCS came along and ruined the whole uh, the whole thing. Uh, and for the Pirates to advance as far as the Liberty Bowl was a big deal, and everyone on campus uh, was was excited about it. It was amazing how much even people who could not care the least bit about college football found it uh, noteworthy that the football team was doing well. Uh, it, it gave one hope that if the football team could do better, perhaps the financial aid office could do better. Perhaps uh, the uh, people who run the IT systems could do better. Perhaps we could do better in the history department. Uh, there was no excuse. You couldn't just point at the team and say they stink, so let's all be second rate. So I'm a firm believer in the ability of uh, otherwise irrelevant ceremonial things like college football to influence an entire institution. But back to Civil War Talk Radio. As always, your donations are welcome uh, at civilwartr at aol.com. Thanks to everyone who contributed in 2008. Don't forget to tell your accountants that the donations are not tax-deductible. There is no restriction on what I might do with them. Uh, I could use them ultimately to uh, set up, uh, as I hope to do uh, this calendar year, uh, that's being ambitious, hope to set up an uh, uh, auxiliary website with uh, additional details on past shows that will help you find them here at uh, the World Talk Radio website and, and be able to listen to them. But if that happens, there will be a need for additional funding to uh, support that as well. So your donations could go to that, or they could just go to uh, investments in Kentucky bourbon. Uh, we just don't know. So not tax deductible. Uh, don't don't uh, don't tell your accountant I said anything else. Another change here at Civil War Talk Radio for the new year is uh, welcoming Ruben, our new engineer, to the show. The world headquarters of our corp corporate overlords seem to have moved or the studio has moved or something has happened in California that I don't understand, uh, something west of the Mississippi. Uh, but the show is no longer produced where uh, our former engineer, Anthony, worked, and I want to thank him publicly for years of excellent work on the show, making everything go smoothly from a technical end, uh, which I don't understand at all. And uh, I'm happy to... Uh, uh, Thank him publicly and to welcome uh, Ruben to joining the uh, the Civil War talk radio empire. Uh, well, as said earlier, there's no outside guest on today's show. Uh, normally, uh, we do have someone on who's usually somebody who's written a book or uh, had something to do with uh, perhaps a Civil War museum or movie or some other uh, form of disseminating information about uh, this, this part of our country's past. Uh, but last year, at about this time, I did a show uh, alone to uh, essentially talk about uh, my own book, Did Lincoln Own Slaves? and other frequently asked questions about Abraham Lincoln. And while I found the experience very stressful, uh, still it seemed it was time to do it again, partly to mark the appearance of the paperback edition of Did Lincoln Own Slaves? So if you didn't yet get your first edition uh, hardcover copy, uh, you can still order one, I'm sure, uh, online from Amazon or uh, elsewhere. But uh, for those uh, 
those of us uh, dealing with the economic slowdown, watching our pennies, uh, you can invest, uh, I think it's probably $15 or so, in the paperback copy of Did Lincoln Own Slaves? It has a few changes. Completists will want to get both copies, hardcover and softcover, because there are some revisions uh, made in between this year and last to cover for events that have happened, some of which we'll talk about in a minute. And uh, if you're... uh, I hope uh, people will get a chance to take a look at at the uh, paperback. And if our paths cross, please come up and uh, talk to me about it. Let's talk about Civil War, talk radio, talk about Abraham Lincoln. Uh, I will be speaking uh, here and there throughout the year ahead. This is not quite as ambitious as the Abraham Lincoln, uh, Did Lincoln Own Slaves World Tour of 2008. Uh, but I will be in Redlands, California, at the uh, A.K. Smiley Public Library, home of the Lincoln Shrine and the 45th Annual Watchhorn Lincoln Dinner. That'll be on February 12th, Lincoln's birthday. Uh, contact the uh, the library in Redlands or uh, look up Lincoln Shrine online and you'll find it. And uh, I'd be, be happy to meet some Civil War talk radio listeners there. It will be the first foray out to the West since uh, really since the show began five years ago. Uh, so that will be on Lincoln's birthday. Uh, the rest of the world will be, the Lincoln world will be in uh, Springfield, Illinois, or perhaps Gettysburg, or Washington, D.C., uh, or maybe uh, Hodgenberg, uh, Hodgenville, excuse me, uh, Kentucky, Lincoln's birthplace. Those who were there last year, uh, of course, got the short end of the weather stick. There were various celebrations held in 2008 to mark the beginning of the Lincoln Bicentennial year. And the people who scheduled the one at Lincoln's birthplace in the the cabin site in Kentucky outdoors uh, failed to take into account that the date was indeed February 12th, and there was a sleet and snow and ice event that rendered the roads undrivable and caused the entire thing to be canceled. So I'm going to California for Lincoln's birthday this year, Southern California, and uh, Redlands is a, a suburb, or exurb, I guess, of Los Angeles, uh, and I'm, I'm counting on good weather. So Redlands, California, February 12th, uh, March 18th, the Gross Point Historical Society in Gross Point, uh, Michigan. March 19th, I'll be in Austin, Texas, at, speaking to the Civil War Roundtable that fine city. On April 14th, uh, another Civil War roundtable visit to Leesburg, Virginia. And on April 25th, returning uh, to my uh, graduate alma mater, Harvard University, for a Lincoln Symposium. I'll be speaking on Saturday, April 25th at 9 a.m. And this is an event, uh, all uh, ego aside, I I think a lot of people want to come to, not because I'll be there, but because of the incredible lineup of others who will be there as well, uh, David Herbert Donald, um, Doris Kearns Goodwin will be there, James McPherson will be there, uh, Vernon Burton, uh, I mentioned that Drew Faust, the president of Harvard University, who I've been trying to get on the show. I'm going to lobby her individually and see if we can get her at that point. Uh, Harold Holzer, Frank Williams, Michael Vorenberg, um, really an incredible lineup of uh, people who know a lot about Lincoln and the Civil War era, and I don't know what the conditions are, what it costs to get into this, but 
look online at the Houghton University webs Houghton Library website at Harvard University, and you can find out more about this event. Uh, it promises to be very interesting, and I'm extremely eager to uh, hear the other talks that will, will be given there. On May 5th, I will be in Doylestown, Pennsylvania, at the Bucks County Civil War Roundtable. May 12th, Richmond, Virginia, at the Civil War Roundtable there. Uh, and then nothing scheduled for the summer, but October 22nd, uh, back here in North Carolina at uh, Rocky Mount, North Carolina, about an hour from Greenville, speaking to the uh, Dorsey Pender branch of the Civil War Roundtable. Our very last show of 2008 was about Civil War Roundtables, and uh, appropriately enough, I will be making the rounds of those organizations. Uh, if you didn't get a chance to hear that show, uh, I thought uh, I learned a lot from our, our guest, Matthew Borowick, who writes a column on Civil War Roundtables for the Civil War News. So a lot of things happening. The uh, the Rocky Mount branch, the uh, uh, Dorsey Pender uh, chapter, is uh, is quite an active one. I'm looking forward to uh, speaking to them. And in fact, I'll be going there tonight, uh, January 9th, uh, 2009. Uh, our old friend Ed Bars, America's premier battlefield historian, as he is sometimes billed, and I think appropriately. Uh, Ed Bars will be speaking there. Uh, on the off chance you're listening live and within driving distance of eastern North Carolina, get in your car now and come down and see Ed and uh, hear him uh, tell his masterful battlefield stories. There is really no one in the Civil War field like, like Ed Bars at all. If uh, you'd like to hear me talk more than I do on the show uh, for your roundtable or other group, uh, buy me a plane ticket uh, and I'll be there. We'll, we'll work something out. Uh, send an email and uh, we can make that happen. So on to uh, subject today. I said I would talk uh, about some of the events of 2008-2009. Normally at this point in the show I would ask the guest for his background, I would sit back and say, so, Jerry, how did you get interested in the Civil War? And then I would, uh, as the guest, tell you all about my own background. But I did that last year. If you want to find out, uh, go to the January 18th, 2008 show, and uh, you can hear uh, the story of, of my own uh, background. Uh, I'll give you the five-second version just in case. Uh, it all goes back to uh, visiting Antietam, to the, the power of the, the site itself, the, the actual land where, where these events happened. Doing that when I was 10 years old, uh, the battlefield made an impression that, that was never lost, that I've never forgotten, and uh, well, it caused me to want to learn more about it. The exhibits in the, the visitor center uh, it gave me some idea what went on there, and I, I had to know more. What were those people doing? Uh, the the sunken road, uh, the, the cornfield, the Westwoods, uh, and then uh, in modern terms, the observation tower. There are so many interesting things on that battlefield. And uh, the reading started then and, and tapered off. Uh, there was high school girls, uh, an attempt at varsity soccer and other things. But eventually, uh, back to uh, history, uh, that remained my interest throughout uh, throughout my academic career, my brief legal career, and on into uh, my time at the Lincoln Museum in Fort Wayne, Indiana, 
which we'll also talk about a little bit uh, in our second session today. So that brings us, uh, in very shorthand fashion, to 2008, uh, 2009, looking at uh, the year that has passed, the year that's gone by. There have been some good things, uh, some some good things and some bad things. Uh, it's an idiosyncratic list. So let me uh, share with you, for example, uh, my personal best Civil War discovery of 2008. Not something that I uh, discovered that others didn't know about. This is discovery in the sense of Columbus discovering a continent occupied by millions of people before him. Uh, but a discovery, uh, from my point of view, of the most incredibly preserved Civil War earthworks that I had ever seen. They are in North Carolina. And I hesitate to say more at this point from a preservationist point of view. Uh, one is always reluctant to, uh, to to give away a secret with the fear that other people will come uh, stomping over it. In uh, To give an example, at Gettysburg, maybe 10 years ago, I was visiting the, the field with uh, uh, Harold Nelson, the former chief of military history for the U.S. Army. And uh, uh, Hal Nelson and I were... were leading a group of visitors, uh, corporate visitors, uh, trying to learn something about leadership from what happened at the battlefield. That's a story in itself, perhaps for another day. And Hal said, you know, the uh, Confederates who didn't take Little Round Top, they retreated back to Big Round Top uh, on the night of July 2nd, 1863, and they dug in. They piled stones, they they made uh, breastworks, and, and spent the rest of the battle there. And he said, unlike those very uh, well-maintained stone walls built by the Park Service on Little Round Top that people picture Chamberlain's men as standing behind, um, those are are, are, are modern artifacts constructed and maintained by the Park Service. The original walls that the Confederates put on Big Round Top are still there, undisturbed since July 1863. Uh, You want to see them? Well, of course, I did. And he knew how to get there. I, I, I've never been back uh, in my many trips to Gettysburg. I've never tried to find them again, and I, I would rather not do so. And I'd rather not, rather uh, you listeners not all go there in a body and, and walk all over Big Round Top looking for them, uh, because then they won't be intact anymore. But if you if things aren't secret, then they uh, then then people start looking for them, and everything is destroyed. Uh, well, so it is. In North Carolina, on the Roanoke River, uh, Fort Branch, built by the Confederates to secure the river from Burnside's troops moving inland uh, by water, uh, built, uh, I presume, in 1862. Fort Branch is essentially still there. It's just a, an earthwork uh, along the south bank of the river on a bluff uh, quite a distance above the surface of the water that mounted, I think, three large... Uh, cannon and several smaller ones. Fort Branch is still there. It's in private hands, on private land. It's not uh, a state or federal site. But the earthworks are magnificent. Uh, uh, they are preserved as, as if they had been built last week. Um, I may be speaking through my hat. Perhaps they were reconstructed by the private owners uh, more than I realize. 
but the site is original. You can see down the river. You can see why the Confederate engineer chose the spot he did to put this. Uh, and because it's on private land, there's no one else around. It's one of those places where you can get what what I understand the reenactors are pursuing, that, that moment when you feel yourself back in time, back in uh, the midst of the Civil War. The people who own it uh, have done... Uh, understand what they have, protected it, have collected and conserved some of the cannon that were on the site, uh, some that had been fished out of the river below where the Confederates threw them rather than surrender at the end of the war, uh, are, are still there in a, uh, a sort of homemade museum. And uh, eventually, perhaps, there will be some way, uh, other than the occasional open house, when others can go see them. Well, I'll catch my breath. We'll take a break, come back in just a minute, and talk more about some of the best and worst of 2008 on Civil War Talk Radio. The world is talking. World Talk Radio. Studio A. Civil War book of 2008, and what was the worst? We'll get one person's opinion when we return on Civil War Talk Radio. For the people in our military, it's a time of sacrifice and duty. That's why all four military aid societies have joined together to form the Armed Forces Relief Trust to help military families cope with financial and medical emergencies at home. With so many serving overseas, the need is greater than ever. You can learn more and donate at www.afrtrust.org. A message from the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. It's a wake-up call. It's time to get serious about preparation and to understand that the threat is very real. This is a message from the U.S. Department of Homeland Security, recorded by Roger Kilfoyle, New York City firefighter. The topic, getting serious. It's irrelevant where you live or how many people live in your community or other variables like that. It's, it's America. America's the target, not just New York. We know there are some positive things that you can do to better prepare yourself and your family it's simple steps to prepare yourself for events that may be out of your control. So, you know, having these little supplies together, you can prepare for problems that may happen. Learn to be prepared at www.ready.gov or call for a free brochure, 1-800-BE-READY. That's 1-800-237-3239. A public service message brought to you by the Ad Council. The world is talking. World Talk Radio, Studio A. Welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, coming to you once again from my office in the Brewster Building on the campus of East Carolina University. Uh, here in our first show of 2009, and presenting uh, some thoughts on the year that has passed, 2008, some 
uh, looks ahead into 2009, the Lincoln anniversary year, the Lincoln bicentennial year. Uh, had uh, he not been assassinated by John Wilkes Booth and had medical science uh, come up with an amazing longe- longevity uh, cure for him, Abraham Lincoln would turn 200 uh, this February 12th, and that has led to a great upsurge of interest in him, which will uh, talk about a little bit more as we go. At the end of the last segment, I was sharing uh, the uh, personal pleasure I took in, in seeing the earthworks at Fort Branch in North Carolina, beautifully preserved, uh, privately owned uh, piece of property. It brings up the fact that there is lots of Civil War lands, uh, uh, places where battles took place, where troops camped, where uh, earthworks were built, uh, where things of great significance took place. There's lots of that uh, still in private hands all over the country, uh, which brings us to uh, one of the lowlights of 2008 in that regard, and that, of course, is uh, Walmart and the Second Battle of the Wilderness. Uh, This is... uh, a look back and a look forward as the battle, the second battle of the wilderness is still ongoing. Walmart has announced its plans to put uh, a store, the fifth such store within a, a, a radius of, I think, not more than 20 miles, right in the middle of what was the site of the battle of the wilderness in 1864. The historical community, the preservationist community, the Civil War community uh, are all rallying to prevent this from going forward to suggest that Walmart rethink its expansion plans, locate its store in one of the infinite number of locations that uh, do not feature uh, the, the, the memories of the, the blood that was spilled uh, during the Civil War, that was not uh, a piece of ground that troops fought over as they did uh, in the wilderness. The uh, even uh, the, the wire services periodically have stories about uh, Ken Burns or James McPherson speaking out, uh, petitions being presented. Uh, I got one in the mail not too long ago and was happy to sign it and send it along uh, with other historians eager to join my name to this cause. Uh, if you have an opportunity to uh, say something to uh, to someone in a small way to contribute to the Civil War Preservation Trust, to do uh, do what you can to uh, prevent things like this from happening and prevent this one in particular, uh, it would be, uh, I think, an appropriate thing for, for all of us uh, to do. Many of you will remember 1995, uh, the mid-90s, when preservationists and really people with just common sense stood up and told the Disney Corporation not to build a theme park on the outskirts of the Bull Run battlefield. And quite to the surprise of many people, uh, the good guys won that battle. Disney did not build what they had planned, and uh, the integrity of the park, such as it is, surrounded by development, was, was preserved uh, for another generation. So these fights are winnable, and uh, I would urge everyone to participate in help prevent the the uh, Walmartization of the wilderness. Civil War Talk Radio uh, is not only about books and authors, but that is certainly a primary focus. And 
in thinking about today's show, I, I looked over the list of people uh, who were on the show in the past year and thought, uh, which book was really, uh, is there any one book from this show or, or not from the show uh, that just stood out uh, above all the others? And it's hard to say. There were really a lot of fine uh, books. There, Most weeks, it is a great pleasure to uh, read up on something and be ready to ask the author more details about it. Occasionally, not so much. Some Sometimes the, the pages turn to lead. They must be turned over with an effort. Um, uh, but for the most part, uh, they're, they're good. They're, they're all... They all have some good qualities, and most have many good qualities. So when I say here's my choice for the the book of the year from Civil War Talk Radio, it's not the best book. Uh, It's an idiosyncratic choice. It's personal. It's one that stuck with me uh, the most. And the book is uh, called The Making of a Confederate, subtitled Walter Lenore's Civil War, written by William L. Barney. Um, Barney is a professor at uh, uh, our rival institution over in Chapel Hill, uh, the University of North Carolina. They would uh, scoff at the idea that East Carolina is a rival of theirs, but so be it. Um, It's a a book that looks at a particular individual and his family in North Carolina, how they dealt with the war, serving uh, either some of them as the brothers serving, some of them. Uh, staying home, but it painted a word picture that brought its characters to life like a work of fiction. I thought it was really uh, a a remarkable piece. It's a a small, physically small book, uh, exceedingly attractive uh, in its cover and its manufacture, and one that, that told an individual story and made it relevant to the war as a whole, uh, which is really uh, a large part of the art of historical storytelling. Uh, so, if there was one book, as I glanced over all the names, where I said, "I remember that one," I can that one struck a chord. It would be my choice would be the Making of a Confederate uh, by William Barney. Uh, so, if you're looking for just one book to read out of last year's list of authors or one show to go back and uh, give a listen to, uh, that, that's the one I'd pick. Now, it's not the best book, as I said, necessarily 2008. That was clearly Did Lincoln Own Slaves and Other Frequently Asked Questions About Abraham Lincoln by me. Um, but, you know, it would be unseemly to go on at great length about uh, about that. Although, time permitting, uh, uh, I will share maybe a little bit more of the contents of that with you in the, the third segment But uh, Barney's book is, is, is the one uh, that I thought was really, uh, really the one that stood up off off the shelf. Conversely, uh, the question in the introduction to the section said, uh, "What's what's the best book? What's the worst book?" Now that's what people want to hear. It's the the worst dressed list of the year that gets all the attention. It's the worst movies that people are fascinated by, um, as well as the best. Here it really would be unseemly for me to just say, well, that was a terrible book. Uh, one of the things about interviewing authors is, is uh, you, you might criticize their book, you might find the book uh, uh, less than ideal in some ways, but 
a lot of work went into it. Even the worst book took a lot of effort to write, uh, a, a lot of work. Uh, and I, what one hates to criticize uh, the effort that people put into this, this enterprise of trying to tell, tell the past, share the past with others. So I will pull my punches here. I will not name a book by name and say that book really stunk. Uh, and in fact, I'll say none of them, uh, certainly that you heard on Civil War Radio, were, were bad books. There have been bad books. If you, if, Did Lincoln Own Slaves does not pull punches uh, while we're on that subject. Uh, one of the questions in that book is what's the best book on Lincoln? And uh, there, I think, uh, there, there's several pages of discussion. It depends what you're looking for. Is it a one-volume book, a beautiful, well-written short book like Benjamin Thomas's biography of Lincoln, a longer one like David Donald's one-volume biography? Uh, are you looking for a multi-volume uh, set? Uh, there's the brand-new two-volume uh, enormous uh, set by Michael Burlingame, which I have not yet read in its entirety, so I can't say where where it ranks necessarily. Uh but in, in Did Lincoln Own Slaves, one of the questions asked next is, what's the worst book in there? That is fairly easy. Uh, the worst book uh, by far by a reputable author is, is the, uh, uh, the one by, uh, I'm going to blank out on her name now, um, uh, the English author who wrote the trilogy on the British Empire, James Morris, and then changed his identity to Jan Morris, and she wrote a book called Lincoln, uh, and it was dreadful, just just a, a, a horrible piece of uh, lazy, inaccurate, uh, misleading nonsense about Abraham Lincoln, uh, really the biggest disappointment of a, uh, a book by a reputable, good, indeed excellent writer uh, uh, choosing to go slumming in Lincoln land and, and write a terrible book. So... What's the worst book of 2008? Uh, Morris's book precedes that by a while. Without saying the best, the worst book, I'll share instead the worst kind of book. And Morris's book is an example. There are three bad kinds of books that uh, that come across the, the the shelves here at World Talk Radio, Civil War Talk Radio, and I don't talk about them at length with the authors. Uh, but since none of them are in the room now, I can go ahead and share with you what I really think about some of these things. One is the 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 poser, the non-expert, the uh, the journalist who thought, "Hey, what can I write next?" I did the book on bumblebees. I did the book on train track gauges. Now I'm going to do the book on Lincoln. That's it, Lincoln. No one's done much about that. And they read three other books, put the ideas together, and they've got a book out on Lincoln. And because they're based in New York City and know some people, it gets published by a, a fairly large press and uh, other journalists who know little about Lincoln see their friend has a book and go, oh, fine book. About time someone wrote a book on Lincoln. And the next thing you know, um, they're getting all kinds of praise and attention uh, without knowing much about the subject uh, or caring about it. And it's enormously frustrating uh, for those who spend their lives working on uh, any historical topic to see people whose main virtue is a facile way with words and connections in the publishing industry to step forward and get their book to the fore. It happens in the Civil War world as well. People 
get books published. It happens uh, in, in all kinds of publishing venues. People who are well-known for other things will get a book published that you or I could never uh, get out the door uh, based on its own quality, but rather instead based on who wrote it. So one thing that, that is frustrating, and I think readers are frustrated by these too, when, they, when, when you know something about the war and then you read a battle book that's written by someone who's just sort of uh, holidaying in Civil War history land, um, that's one source of frustration. Second one, and this one uh, I know some of you listeners will not share, is the Too Much Detail book. And I have to admit, when a 600-page book on a mid-level Confederate general crosses the desk here, I, my first thought is, wow, you know, what, what can there possibly be to say about Robert Rhodes or Edward Johnson in 600 pages? It couldn't be said in you know, 200. Do we really need all this information? Well, I'm happy to say I'm often wrong. Uh, the Johnson biography... Uh, uh, by Ed Klemmer, um, the Robert Rhodes biography. Uh, uh, my bifocals can't focus on the shelf to see the author from here. Um, these books were quite good, I thought, quite interesting, uh, and did have something to say. Uh, it's often a surprise, but there are times when uh, when enough really, really is enough. Um, I read with great interest many years ago uh, Harry Fonz's first book on Gettysburg, the, the second day, the big orange-covered book, uh, many hundreds of pages long on one day of the three-day battle, thinking, I cannot ever get enough of Gettysburg. I've got to get this. This is the best ever. Before I was halfway done, I thought, okay, I've gotten enough of Gettysburg. Uh, now, there are listeners, the people who've emailed, uh, people I've corresponded with, people who've been on the show, um, Dmitry Rotov, for example, who does a fine blog, The Civil War Bookshelf, and has been a guest on the show, um, is is a fan that I will not say the detail school per se, but uh, has, has expressed both uh, here he and I discussed it, and he's discussed in print uh, his desire to see people uh, get to the nuts and bolts uh, to get away from stale paradigms and uh, uh, the idea of, of writing things just to appeal to a popular audience is uh, not. Not what he and, and others, other readers like him, might want. They, they want the detail. Uh, they want as much detail as can be gotten. Uh, but there are some of us, uh, I will say, for whom enough really is enough. And uh, uh, sometimes one wonders how much detail can be piled into these. Related to that, a third and final bad book issue that comes up and one uh, that has come up on the show several times in very intelligent and interesting ways, I thought, comments from other authors, uh, is what I'll call the combat pornography. The, the author who takes just too much delight in sharing the hideous side of war. Now, that's a difficult issue. If we don't write about war as killing and death, if, if we... Uh, whitewash it, if we, we censor it, if we romanticize it, worst of all, so that no one ever seems to get seriously hurt. Uh, that's a terrible thing to do. It's unhistorical, and it 
breeds a generation of readers who think war is not such a bad thing. Maybe we should have another one. Uh, that's not the way to go. But how far in the other direction does an author need to go? At what point does describing uh, wounds and disease and sickness and death uh, go beyond what is needed for the reader to be made aware, uh, even to be shocked, uh, to the point where there's a sense the author is taking voyeuristic uh, and, and unseemly pleasure in describing what happened on these battlefields. Uh, as, as as Potter Stewart, the Supreme Court Justice Samley said about pornography, uh, uh, he could not define it, but I know it when I see it. Uh, so it is with, with Civil War combat description. Uh, it's hard to say when they become too bad, too much of a, a bad thing. But I know it when I see it, and I suspect you do too. On that sobering thought, We'll take another break and come back in just a minute with more of Civil War Talk Radio. Listen. The world is talking. World Talk Radio. Studio A. Coming up next on Civil War Talk Radio... Scandals in the Lincoln and Civil War world. The things people did wrong in 2008 when we return on Civil War Talk Radio. When I was 12, my father was killed in an industrial accident at the vacant lot where he worked. My mother insisted I stay in the highway on ramp to get an education. So she took a job uh, waiting tables at a parking garage to support us. She worked double shifts. And on her break, she would pick me up from the highway on-ramp and drop me off at the big office building. And I'd spend hours and hours just reading books. I remember every Saturday we'd have breakfast at the parking garage. And I'd tell her what I had read. And her eyes would just light up <laughs> because she knew I'd end up in college. Not working at the vacant lot like my dad. When we lose a historic place, we lose a part of who we are. To learn how you can help protect places in your community, visit nationaltrust.org. History is in our hands. A message brought to you by the National Trust for Historic Preservation and the Ad Council. Hey, y'all. This is Stephen Cochran. As a country artist, I have traveled around this great country of ours, often meeting our brave men and women in uniform. And as a Marine and veteran of both the Iraq and Afghan conflict, I know how important it is to thank our troops who defend our freedom each and every day. One of the best ways to thank them is to give their children and spouses the gift of education. Scholarships for two years, four years, and vocational school. This is exactly what a national charity, Thanks USA, does. Please go to their website, www.thanksusa.org to make a generous donation to the Thanks USA Scholarship Fund for the families of the troops, and I thank you. Listen. The world is talking. World Talk Radio. Studio A. Welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking with you today about the 
Best and Worst of 2008, the year just passed, and 2009, the Abraham Lincoln Bicentennial Year just ahead on this show, our first show of January 2009. Uh, in the last segment, I shared some thoughts about Civil War books, uh, some of the things, uh, some of the good things, some of the better books of the past year, and some of the less uh, good things. There's been a lot of Lincoln and Civil War in the news as well in uh, 2008, uh, best and worst to, to mention. One of the best things, certainly, about this past year has been the upsurge of interest in American history, in Abraham Lincoln in particular, uh, spurred on in part by the Lincoln Bicentennial, the efforts of the Lincoln Bicentennial Commission, uh, and local and state commissions everywhere, and also spurred on, uh, to a large part, by the presidential election of 2008, in which the uh, ultimately successful candidate, Barack Obama, made implicit claims to Lincoln imagery, declaring his candidacy, for example, on the steps of the old state capitol in Springfield, uh, being as he was uh, a relatively inexperienced and not particularly well-known figure outside of his state, uh, suddenly running for the highest office in the land. It was impossible not to draw comparisons to Abraham Lincoln, and uh, Obama and his campaign team did nothing to discourage that, uh, with the result that there are very high expectations. I'll try to avoid saying anything in the way of prognostication, because when you download and listen to this show a month or two from the time it was recorded, you'll already know a lot more than I do about how things have gone in the Obama presidency, so I'll offer no thoughts there. But I will say from a historian's point of view, I think it's been a good thing that uh, Lincoln has been brought into the news in this way, that people are making these comparisons, whether you uh, agree or disagree with them from a political perspective, uh, being less the point than the fact that people are debating it and therefore being forced to learn something about Lincoln himself if they're going to engage intelligently in debate about uh, is Lincoln relevant to uh, the contemporary political scene. Uh, you can't do it if you don't know something about the past. Uh, so people are doing that. And in general, without, again, without venturing to make political comparisons, there's a sense uh, that I have, uh, you may or may not share it, that respect for intellectual labor, for studying the past in its own sake, for uh, respecting what future generations will say of us when our time is history to them, uh, seems to be on the upswing. And uh, this can only bode well for our study of American history in general, the Civil War period in particular. And uh, in that sense, I'll say it is a good thing. Uh, again, without knowing how it's going to come out, I understand that part of the inaugural festivities that will happen in a week or so include a train trip from Illinois to Washington, uh, uh, explicitly copying the mode of travel Lincoln used, which was the only practical mode at his time. Now it's being done clearly for uh, purposes of, of echoing Lincoln. At some point, uh, any politician wants to be careful of getting too right with Lincoln because those are awfully 
an awfully large stovepipe had to fill. And uh, anyone who sets himself up for comparison with with uh, the accomplishments of the Lincoln presidency is asking for uh, something of a letdown, it seems to me. But we shall see how things go. So good news in that sense on the Lincoln front. On the negative side, uh, a couple, uh, uh, so, some downers in the past year, in 2008. Uh, in October, the director of the Abraham Lincoln Presidential Library and Museum, Rick Beard, lost his job after being uh, accused of shoplifting from several stores around Springfield. Now, I've been to Springfield more than once, and there's not a lot to do there. I will certainly agree with that. But that's no excuse to drive someone to crime. And uh, I don't want to say anything that would make light of, of Mr. Beard's predicament uh, Shoplifting is something I know nothing about, but plagiarism, uh, the intellectual form of shoplifting, is something I've had some experience with from the, uh, not as a perpetrator, uh, but as a victim. And it is a very curious crime. Uh, people steal things they don't need. Just plagiarists steal books, steal words they don't need. They, they're often better writers than the people are copying from. Thomas Mallon's excellent book, Stolen Words, describes this phenomenon in, in general. Uh, and it's, it's very much a psychological thing. It's not a crime of needing to take people's words or probably needing to take their uh, Seinfeld box DVD sets. Uh, so uh, with sympathy to the, the person who, whose demons drove him to do this, um, it is, however, a, an embarrassing moment for the 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 home of the image of Honest Abe that they need to find a new director who doesn't steal stuff. Worse than that, um, far worse than that, uh, in the world of museums, uh, and Abraham Lincoln Museums in particular, was the fate of the Lincoln Museum in Fort Wayne, Indiana, which, after 80 years of operation, uh, was described in a press release last spring from its uh, owners and uh, controlling entity, the Lincoln Financial Group. Uh, it was the Lincoln Financial Group said they were going to make some changes to make the collection more accessible to the public. They wanted more people to see the collection. And as you read the press release, you think, well, that's a good idea because only you know twenty, thirty thousand people get there a year. Uh, they're going to do something to make it more widely available. What good news. Until you get to the end of the press release and discover that these lying bastards, to put it politely, were going to make it more accessible by closing it. And that's what they did. After 80 years of operation, the Lincoln Museum is no more. The museum was closed with very little uh, fanfare or warning. The uh, duplicitous talk about making it more accessible had something to do with digitizing elements of the collection, the people who wrote it having no idea what they meant by digitizing. That's, that's obvious. Um, and on June 30, June 30 of 2008, the Lincoln Museum closed its doors for the last time. A really tragic moment for uh, the study of Lincoln, uh, rendering the library and document collection inaccessible to scholars, uh, rendering the exhibits and artifacts inaccessible to school children and tourists and anyone else who wanted to see them. Um, 
I admit to being biased by having spent nine years as the Lincoln Scholar in residence at that museum. Uh, it had a wonderful collection. It is a, uh, a shame, uh, a, a, a really despicable act by the Lincoln Financial Group to close that place. It was not a matter of money. Uh, they could have taken the money that they spent to put their name on the Philadelphia Eagles football field, Lincoln Financial Field, and run the museum till the Lincoln Tricentennial. Uh, or quadricentennial, possibly. Uh, it didn't cost that much to run. It's the the real facts uh, from this historian's analysis are that the company's headquarters moved out of town from Fort Wayne to Philadelphia uh, five or six years ago, and as fewer and fewer people in the Lincoln hierarchy had anything to do with the Midwest or Fort Wayne or the 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 land where Lincoln grew up. Um, more, uh, they just simply forgot why they had it, and they decided one day it was time to close it. Uh, it didn't matter to them. If there is a glimmer of good news in this story, it is that the uh, collection, instead of going to an institution like the Smithsonian or Library of Congress, where it would be swallowed up among many other uh, remarkable artifacts, will at least stay in the Midwest and form another outpost of Lincoln's study, the artifacts and uh, other physical objects, three-dimensional objects, uh, are going to be donated to the Indiana Historical Society, which has a substantial Lincoln collection of its own. They, they uh, obtained Jack Smith's uh, remarkable collection of Lincoln uh, images, paintings, photographs several years ago, and now they've got the Lincoln Museum's collection, uh, which really moves them into the front rank now uh, behind uh, Springfield uh, among museums with uh, Lincoln-related collections. The paper aspects, the library, 20,000 volumes uh, related to Lincoln in the Civil War era, and the manuscripts and documents are being donated are, uh, to a Fort Wayne institution. They're staying in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and going to the Fort Wayne Allen County Public Library, which you may not have heard of, but by some accident of history, has developed an enormous genealogical collection, second only to that of the that of the Latter Day Saints uh, collection in, in Salt Lake City, the, the Mormon collection. Genealogists from all over the country do know about Fort Wayne, and they do travel there to do genealogical research. And while genies and historians have different interests, the uh, the collection materials are useful for historical research, and there is sympathy and professional ability and understanding there for this kind of collection. And the library's director, uh, Jeff Krull, is outstanding at what he does. So there is some hope that at least the research library of the Lincoln Museum will uh, continue to be kept together and, and form the basis of a reason for researchers to visit that city in the future. So two uh, uh, strikes in the Lincoln world there. Uh, the the uh, fate of the director in Springfield and of the museum in Fort Wayne. In the last one, um, and, and in many ways the most, uh, the, the, the saddest one, and, but the one we can't avoid sharing uh, uh, as we talk today, uh, is the death of my good friend uh, John Y. Simon. Um, John Y. Simon was the uh, 
director of the Papers of Ulysses S. Grant project at uh, uh, housed in Southern U- Illinois University at Carbondale. Uh, John Y. Simon was a Lincoln scholar, a Grant uh, expert. Uh, he had uh, edited uh, 30 volumes of Grant papers, uh, only one more to be done to complete the series. When he was subject to an accusation of sexual harassment that led him to losing his job in a most uh, unfortunate fashion, in a manner that did not allow him to defend himself properly, and that has resulted in the collection itself being moved out of Carbondale, out of Southern Illinois University, to Mississippi State University, Starkville, Mississippi. So while we will miss our good friend John Y. and and, and, uh, uh, remember his memory, you'll want to go back to December 04 to one of their first shows and listen to him in his inimitable laugh. Uh, I'll dedicate this show uh, to him and uh, be happy that his paper's project has moved on to a uh, a better uh, base now at State University. And similarly, it's now time for us to move on. Uh, Out of time, always too soon. Civil War Talk Radio. Thank you for listening. Join us again next week when we return for more Civil War Talk Radio. Talk Radio. Studio A. 